Well, hey, everyone, and welcome to I'm Talking. It's Impact's podcast, and man, the feedback has been fantastic. We're only three or four podcasts in, but I think we're starting. We haven't broken this thing yet, so I think we're starting to figure out how to do this. Um, But here we are today. Uh, Number one, say thank you to everyone for listening. But today we're talking about something that I just am personally very – excited might be the wrong word, but just think is very valuable to talk about. We are here in the Anzac week and you may be listening to this in a time that isn't the Anzac week. You might be six months, whatever, but I think that this is something that is very relevant to Australia, very relevant to each of us. And in the Anzac context, rather than just talk about uh, Anzac Day, of which there'll be great coverage and great discussion, we wanted to hone in on something that I personally uh, would love to talk about and think that everyone needs to talk about. And that is what it's like for service people, for veterans post their service. What is it like to integrate, to reconnect, to explore, to journey post their times of service? I'm sure it is uh, a a very sensitive and challenging and and incredible time. And we want to talk about that. And it's got some great questions. But before we get into that, we these great questions that I'm going to ask are for great people. And here today, we've got two people who are, are great and important people, very intentionally invited to be a part of this conversation. First, we have Naomi. Uh, she is a great part of, in some ways, the Impact Extended family. How I know Naomi is that... We train in the gym at 4 a.m. She's way more consistent than me, but she, <laughs> from a distance, she's always, she's part of the 4 a.m. club. So she's got to have, I guess, some sense of, uh, you know, to, to be in that club. You are, it's a distinguished company, Naomi. Thanks, Phil. <laughs> so can you tell everyone who you are, what you do, and why maybe you're part of this conversation today? Yeah, yeah. So I'm really pleased to be here. I am a psychotherapist, which... Um, uh, many of you will be aware of psychologists and what they do. I'm just yeah. a little different to that. Um, very similar practice. And I work a lot with trauma. Um, the other thing I do is uh, I facilitate trauma-informed care training for sure. professionals. Mm-hmm. So uh, trauma is the work that I do. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, cool. And I guess that is very specific. You. Wh- uh, what was your thought when I rang you about this subject and asked you to be a part of this? Um, I remember you saying to me, I don't know if this is, you know, along your scope. And I was like, this is my scope. <laughs> this is your lane. <laughs> it is. You yeah. think it's something that people need to talk Absolutely. about? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I, I think it is. I'm really pleased that Dave's here to give a perspective from lived experience. Yes. You know, I can only give a perspective from support and the yes. support that I've provided over a lot of years. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's really no. good to have someone with lived experience as well. Awesome. Well, we're very grateful you're part of this. And of course we have Dave. Uh, Dave is a legend. We're glad you're here. Uh, Dave, tell everyone maybe some of your story and why we are very grateful to have you part of this. Well, that's a long story. <laughs> um, thank you for having me here. Um, I served in defence, Royal Australian Air Force, uh, left school 17 years of age, joined the Air Force. 33 years later, I discharged. Okay. And um, from there, I was selected as a contractor or training consultant for Department of Defence. I did that for seven years till I had basically a mental breakdown. I could no longer work. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, (laughs) two marriages later, uh, through my mental problems, I broke down. And, uh, yeah, it's a pretty sad story, really. Not being aware what problems I had. So I'll probably uh, tell more about that as we go on. Yeah, you bet. So when were you, what year were you discharged? 
I was discharged on uh, around September 2003. 2003. Okay, yeah. okay. And then I worked uh, as a training consultant at Richmond um, for all areas of flying and right. all those categories. Okay, cool. Well, we're grateful to you be a part Thank of you. this. And, uh, and I know there'll be people listening that are either, um, you know, like you, Dave, who are post their service or in, in a new yep. season of service. Um, but I think we all have a re- community responsibility to do what we can to understand this yep. and be provide as much support in 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 uh, in a way that is kind, loving, compassionate, and hopefully educated to Australians, to people that are in this um, in this space. So, Naomi, if I could direct our first question to you of to talk about some of the things that. Uh, service people, I'm going to use the word carry, Mm. uh, uh, probably for me, it's an intentional word. Some of the things that people carry in that post-service reintegration, reconnecting season in their lives. Mm. Well, again, I can't speak from lived experience. And so I'm really mindful of that, that the expert Mm. is really Dave. Mm. Um, But I guess my experience and understanding of the impact of something like post-traumatic stress or PTSD is that um, predominantly there are lots of things like flashbacks. Uh, It's very challenging to integrate back into whatever normal life was prior to service. Um, So just everyday things, going to the shopping centre, driving a car, like things like that can be really, really challenging Mm. um, because of the capacity for triggers. Um, And so what's really important for us to understand is that for many people with um, what I would say either complex trauma or PTSD is um, that they need lots of empathy and compassion, lots of understanding. Sure. Uh, lots of support, even the best support from family mm. and loved ones um, can can kind of feel like not enough mm. sometimes. Uh, it's really hard to put into words the impact that trauma has on somebody. Uh, but I think Dave would agree that mm. it just changes who you are and how you see the world. Yes. Yeah. Um, Dave... You, you talk as much as you want to talk. Yes. What, maybe it's about some of your journey or even some of your friends, oh. colleagues that you've seen, some of the things that you've had to car- carry, some of your experience or others you've seen. Uh, most of my experience of trauma comes from losing your best mates okay. uh, in aircraft crashes. Okay. Um, I've just been to so many funerals of your close mates um, Aircraft crashes after aircraft crash, another aircraft crash. You lose a life. And you drink with them, you lose them. You um, play golf with them, drink with them. And um, I've just lost so many friends. It's uh, such a, you know, it just really does affect me. And um, that's basically my my story. It's bad news. (laughs) Yeah. What, what, can I ask, what have some of the experiences that you've seen of, of your colleagues who haven't passed away, who haven't maybe died in action, or mm. what, what have been some of the things that you've seen them carry, PTSD, trauma, isolation, what have been some of their battles? Um, well, firstly, PTSD, a lot of people don't realise they have it. Okay. Um, they mm. really don't understand what the symptoms are, mm. um, and you carry that back to your family. And the treatment you fork out to your family is pretty bad. Um, you treat them like rubbish. You have uh, basically um, meltdowns. You, you 
treat them. Well, I forget what the word is. Anger, anger issues. It's so bad. You can't control your anger. Mm. It just a um, press a button and away you go. It's uh, horrific. And I never knew I was dealing with that issue of PTSD and um, basically uh, treat my wife and family like crap. I was married uh, for 17 years. Okay. I just left my family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my kids wouldn't talk to me for like six years. But uh, they love me to bits now after we squared the uh, squared everything away. But that was a challenge in itself. Um, yeah, it's been a rough time for me. Yeah. I, I have to go to St John of God Hospital every three or four weeks. Okay, to be counselled. I'm on high doses of medication to uh, be on a level playing field and uh, try and stop triggers. And um, I, I get good help. You know. Thank God. That's good. And um, I'm a better person for it because I used to be a very nasty person because PTSD can make you very nasty. And um, you hurt a lot of people. Trust me, it's not a good thing and can break up the family family unit. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. Um, Let's talk about PTSD. Um, Mm. What what are some of the signs, Naomi, that you've seen professionally or that people Mm. can – where does it start? How does it come out? How is it finally identified? What does it look like? Yeah, um, I just want to say I'm really sorry to, to hear mm. all those struggles, Dave. Mm. Yeah, I can really, um, I, I can see that it's yep. been really challenging for you and your family as well. Um, yeah, post-traumatic stress, uh, I think the main uh, considerations, and what Dave said is true, a lot of people don't realise that, mm. you know, that what they're experiencing is as a result of the trauma. Um you know, either they find ways to manage it, you know, lots of ad- mm. adaptations like alcohol, drugs, yep. you know, other behaviours. Rage is one of those mm. coping strategies as well. Um, I guess post-traumatic stress is, um, you know, if you think about, thankfully I don't have PTSD mm. or, you know, mm. huge levels of trauma, thankfully. if I So I would say that my baseline as far as my resting place on most days is, you know, I have a normal resting place or a normal mm. baseline, let's mm. just say. My nervous system sure. is just kind of normal. Yeah. Uh, I feel really fortunate about that. If you have post-traumatic stress or PTSD, then your normal baseline is actually in an elevated mm. level, which means that... Mm. that your capacity to be triggered is much higher. So you'll mm. be triggered by really minor things. So traffic, for instance, if I'm in a, um, if I thankfully do not have something like PTSD, I can cope with, you know, things that you need to tolerate on an mm. everyday basis. Mm. Whereas if you have PTSD, you have a very limited capacity to handle things like that. Right, doesn't make you a lesser person. It just mm. means that your nervous system is so jacked up. Yeah, yep, sure. Most of the time, that what m- many of us could cope with on a normal day, someone with PTSD mm. finds it really difficult to do. Hence, what Dave said about you know the anger and the rage. It's really easy to go into that state because mm. you're not living in the same kind of sphere as somebody that doesn't have PTSD. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Does it ever look like a withdrawing? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So that's is that your experience? Dave? Oh yeah. Yeah. I was afraid to even get out of bed. Okay. <clears throat> I was uh, stood down from work because I had a mental breakdown. I was put into St John of God Hospital and uh, I was released and um, went home and uh, I couldn't get out of bed. <laughs> My mind mm. was saying, "No, stay in bed. Don't go and see people. Um, protect yourself." Yes. And trying to go near crowds or 
shopping centres or anything like that, you'd have to look for an escape route or look yes. over your shoulder, um, protect yourself, really. Uh, it's pretty weird, but that's what happens. Yes. You, you sit down at the shopping centre with somebody, your close friend, and re- they're trying to reassure you and you're looking over your shoulder, how am I going to get out of here? Um, you need an escape route. You've got to plan that uh, to get out. Yeah. And um, the weird things, but that's what it is. Yeah. So when we arrive at Anzac Day, mm-hmm. what's your emotion heading into that Oh, it's a very emotional experience because uh, we uh, – well, let me talk about Anzac Day first. It's about uh, the bravery and sacrifice of the Anzac forces landing at Gallipoli on the uh, – 25th of April 1915. Like, um, the casualty rate was 8,700 killed in action. Uh, wounded were about 19,000. Uh, mm. And, uh, like, um, casualties, 28-odd thousand. And then you go to other conflicts. They go from one that survives that into the hell of the uh, trench warfare warfare in the um, French, uh, French uh, trenches and uh, the hell of, uh, yeah, it was just horrific killing mm. in mm. trench warfare around Brussels, Europe. Uh, it was terrible. Then you go into World War Two and Korea, Korean War and Vietnam. It goes on and on. And mm. then you get Iraq, Afghanistan and peacekeeping missions. And you've got to feel for the family or lost loved ones. It's That's a, just a traumatic experience in itself. Yes. And people... I don't think really understand the real meaning of Anzac. Yeah. It's a compassionate thing for me because you lose mates and mm. you go and serve your country and you've got to commemorate it. And, um, yeah, that's yeah. my point of it. No, that's good, mate. Um, you've both used the word triggers and I'd mm. like to talk about that and and um, some of the things that – we as a community, maybe we as family members of people, friends of people, whatever whatever context, some of the things that we, we do either with good intentions or apathy or bad intentions, mm. some of the things that we do as a community that trigger people um, because I don't think any of us would, I guess, want that, but I'm sure it happens. What are some of the things that we do that triggers people? What does that look like? Mm. <laughs> um. Well, I guess what we need to understand is what a trigger is, is a trigger is that, you know, that sense of not feeling safe. Um, And so someone with PTSD, as Dave was saying, you know, looking over their shoulder, loud noises, um, you know, kind of situations that might take somebody back into, Mm -hmm. because what a trigger is, it takes the person back into that experience, yeah? It's really challenging to know because I, I can, with all intentions, and I do this in my practice, Uh, provide safety and show levels of trustworthiness and connection and still unfortunately a person could be triggered yeah and so sometimes that's out of my control but Mm. what I can do is stay really present to that person um, give them space if they need space um, love them uh, as best as we can you know have compassion and empathy and even having compassion and empathy can sometimes be really challenging Mm. for somebody with trauma Um, 
because there's, as Dave said, sometimes, you know, um, someone with PTSD might want to remove themselves. Mm. And my, yes. my capacity to have empathy and compassion means I want to connect with you and that might not be what they want. And mm. that can be a trigger. So it's so challenging. So, so in that case, you know, I mean, do we uh, is it best to ask? Is it best to re like how how does how yeah. do we mm. uh, do our best to support? Well, I think always have empathy. You know, so sure. you don't need to know what it's like for that person, but to at least try for a moment to um, have some kind of perspective as to the struggles of someone with PTSD. Mm. Um, you know, be kind. Um, look for visual cues. You can sometimes tell from the yes. person's facial expressions, their body language. If they're moving away from you, then be really respectful of that. Yes. Um, they might not want you to get too close, touch them, things like that. Um, so really reading the cues, ask them. Yeah. Um, don't be surprised mm. if they're not always able to articulate what they need from mm -hmm. you because that can be challenging too. Um, there's not. I wish there was a bit of a rule book. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but there's not. But I think kindness and compassion and empathy is always really important to know that the other person is the expert on what's right mm. for them, even mm. if they don't feel like it. Yeah, yeah, yeah and oh, just be good. mindful of that. Mm. So, Dave, what do you do? You, I'm sure you would look sometimes at things that happen on the media or people, and you just you just you know forehead slap yourself and go seriously. What are you people doing? Oh. You don't. You just look out of our society now, Phil. Um, a lot of people in general society are triggered. They, they, mm. they. Uh, I think a lot of them are carrying a PTSD, or they see a see a stressful event. They don't realise they have a problem. And um, man, you see some people out there. You think, really? <laughs> yes. And you think, um, like, you go and try and park your car down Terrigal near the surf club, and uh, mm -hmm. you go to a slot there and somebody triggers you and, hey, you took my car park, blah, 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 blah. Man, they are so triggered it's not funny. Yeah. And uh, over what? The car park. Mm. And they're ripping into me. And I say, really? Why don't you just calm down? Mm. So it's just people that need to wake up themselves. And can, can I ask you, David? Yep. Were there moments um, in your journey that you that were incredibly... I guess sobering or enlightening of I, I have I'm struggling here, oh. and 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 if I could ask you what were some of those first steps of beyond that realization, uh, toward that you took towards action healing? What what was that like? Didn't have a clue, Phil. Okay. Didn't have a clue. So where did I you didn't where, realize I had PTSD? Where did you reach out? I uh, reached out after I collapsed at work with a mental breakdown. Okay. Yeah, no option. Um, I was taken to basically St. John of God Hospital mm -hmm. and treated there. I did a PTSD course with uh, other veterans and police and I really started to understand what PTSD was all about. And PTSD is a traumatic event where it records in your midbrain. And um, if you see that, it'll record, then it'll unwind and, boy, you go off the radar and... Mm. Uh, you can't control rage, reaction, or whatever. So um, I was in there, in and out for 15 odd weeks, um, taking meds and uh, counselling sessions, and um, and I still go there. I think I previously said I, I go there every three or four weeks to see my psychiatrist, and every two weeks I see a psychologist, and um, that keeps me on the straight and narrow. So what would you say to someone who maybe now is having a bit of a realisation, dr dramatic or subtle, 
I've, I think I've got a challenge here. What would, what, what would be an encouragement that you would have to them? Try and seek help. It doesn't cost, well, I say, see a psychologist or, okay. if you, or, or see your doctor and see if he can refer to your psychologist to try and get some direction with help. Um, pretty hard, really, because you don't really understand what PTSD is. Sure. You know, if you're losing the plot, years and years and you're yelling at your wife or your kids and you cannot stop doing it, obviously you must have a problem, mm. but you can't identify it. So um, I, I didn't realise I had it. I hit the floor. I was shaking, trembling, and that wheeled me out. It's pretty embarrassing of me on the floor going nuts and i got clients mm. in front of me. I was, was customers, so uh, that didn't go down well. Yeah. And, um, uh, after that, I was put in hospital and um, I was basically um, not allowed to work after that. So, okay. Yeah. I appreciate that very much. That's all right. Um, Naomi, mm -hmm. your professional opinion, if someone is having that realisation, what are some of the action steps? Mm. And then a, a follow-up would be as a family or a friend of someone who you're seeing, oh, I think that there's something going on here. What are some of those action steps, those proactive things mm. that we can do? Yeah. Yeah, it's a really good point. And I think, um, you know, there are a number of helplines to start with so that you don't have to wait, you know, for a psychologist mm. appointment, which can take months, unfortunately. But, you know, like Lifeline. Um, there's another organisation called the Blue Knot Foundation. They're this um, centre of excellence in complex trauma. So they deal a lot with trauma and they have a helpline there with lots of referral sources and things like that. So if you are um, a loved one and you're concerned about somebody, and you're, um, you know, you're experiencing some of those behaviours that Dave mentioned before, which is very traumatic for family mm. members as well, like they often need support also, mm. then reach out. And there's other um, veteran services, um, crisis lines, I don't know the number off the top of my head, but perhaps you can, I don't know if you can provide a link to that or mm. somehow resource that. Yeah. Um, but there, I just want everyone to know that there is um, help available. Yes. And then, you know, usually with something like PTSD, um, there's ongoing support, as Dave's mentioned, mm. you know, you might need a psychiatrist and perhaps have some regular uh, sessions with a psychologist or something like that. But it's important that people realise they don't have to do it on their own. And, in fact, no. it's near on impossible to do yep. it on your own. You really do need help. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Can I ask you a, a very practical question? Yeah. Uh, do you ever get over it? Do you ever get fixed, if you, if, quote, unquote, of PTSD? Or do you learn to manage it? Or does it take a proper place in your life. Mm. Can you put some language around that? Yeah. And again, I'm not speaking from lived experience, but what I would say, because I often get asked that, you know, mm. with different um, mental health concerns is, you know, how do you fix it or how do you get better mm. or, you know, how do you get over it? Mm. I think what we need to understand with trauma, so both PTSD, but complex trauma as well. So mm -hmm. people that experience other types of traumatic events. Yes is that uh, we just learn to live with it in a different way. Sure. Yeah, so it's not something that you um, necessarily get over. In fact, it becomes who you are. You can't get mm. over it. Mm. But what you can do is you can learn to have a different relationship with the trauma and the traumatised mm. parts of yourself. Mm. And so it's like, you know, if you can imagine that you go on this path of life, you bring those parts with you, but you just bring them in a way that you have a better mm. relationship with them. Yes. Because prior to a diagnosis or prior to getting an understanding of something like PTSD or trauma, often you're pushing those parts of you away. Mm. Yes. And so they get louder and bigger mm. and they have, you know, mm. like a toddler with, you know, bigger behaviours because uh -huh. you're not paying attention. Yeah. 
So the so I guess the path is to bring those parts in, to get to yes. know them, to get the support that you need. Um, because as Dave said, there are lots of very complex things that also mm. happen in your brain mm. uh, and within the, you know, the mechanisms of your body as well around safety that, you know, you don't really lose those. You just learn to live mm. with them in a, you know, more constructive way. Mm. I think yeah. it's really important that we understand that. Yes. Yeah. No, that's awesome. Um, David, what would you say to someone who is close to someone who is struggling with PTSD or, or uh, what would you say to that family member, that friend? Um, gosh, uh, you've got the lifeline, you can ring lifeline, as Naomi was saying, and there are a lot of institutions out there that, uh, helplines that can give you help. You've always got doctors, uh, you'd probably say there's good and bad doctors, mm. which there are, but, uh, there's some good ones out there who'll give you the time of day and steer in the right direction. And on that note, I've got to mention the, um, uh, Royal Commission into Veteran Suicide. Yes. And that's been a very sad uh, view for veterans coming back from Afghanistan and other veterans who are trying to seek help uh, from Veteran Affairs. Yes. And with their claim process. And um, it, unfortunately, with the lack of staff, money, it goes on and on and on. Uh, political speech, I suppose, that um, they don't get their claims recognised and uh, it just takes time and these people without money or assistance, um, these veterans are living on the streets or in the gutter, they can't get assistance, they don't have employment. Um, it's very sad and um, I just hope the Royal Commission does address it. Mm. Um, I just get frustrated that nothing will ever get done and a lot of the veterans commit suicide because mm. they cannot cope. And that that uh, really sends a shiver up my spine. I just I just think they can do more veteran affairs to look after the diggers and veterans on the street. And if they can't get their claims sorted, they've got to give them some financial yeah. uh, relief, surely. Yeah. It's just so wrong. Yeah, no, here. Anyway. Um, Naomi, any closing comments, thoughts around this before we move on? Um, no, just, you know, what I would say is that Lifeline is a, you know, often well-known um, by most people, 13, 11, 14, really yeah. important number, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Um, and, you know, that we're not meant to do this life alone. Mm. No. Um, and so that's in general. But when you're struggling, you know, sign of strength is to put your hand up and say you're not doing so good yeah. uh, and often we find that difficult but I just want to encourage mm. people to do that yeah yeah awesome well Dave I want to thank you for thank you. your service even and for uh, being a part of this conversation really very much appreciate it and I know that there'll be people who would uh, resonate with what you've said mm. and it would be confirming and encouraging and enlightening for them so I just genuinely we genuinely want to say thank you for your service and for being a part of this conversation today um, Naomi, thank you. You're amazing and uh, we are appreciative for what you've put in today. Um, uh, in, I'm talking is really about having authentic, honest, messy conversations and uh, I, th I think this is a great conversation to have and it's a conversation that needs to continue to be had to give people mm. courage and permission mm. 
to uh, go on their journey together. So thanks to everyone listening. Uh, You can find out more on our podcast with all the links and uh, information available. We'll see you next time. Thanks, Phil. Thanks for joining us on I'm Talking. If you want to find out more, check out our website, impactc.me. We'll see you next time.